novels from the Writers of Succession <laughs> edition of Spin Cycle, the media show that tries to make sense of the chaos that is our 24-hour news cycle, broadcasting from the stolen lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, lands for which sovereignty has never been ceded, always was, always will be Aboriginal land. I'm Jess Lilly, and I'm so excited to be back in the studio with Crikey reporter Charlie Lewis. Yeah. Hey, Charlie. Hey, Jess. It's so great. The, the old team back together after like nearly a month of three weeks. It's yeah. which is a long time in. Well, in, 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 yeah, in, in commenting on media stuff, like it's it's a lifetime. <laughs> it is a lifetime. It feels like such a long time ago. Um, yeah, I think. Well, yeah, because you were away one show, and then. Amel and the Sniffers I took my kids to. Yeah, I saw that. <laughs> the performance space. And then I was away last week. So, yeah, this is great. And um, I'm sure lots of stuff has happened in the news, but I was away. I, and I, I went down the beach last week and I just sort of really tried so hard not to engage. So I'm going to be uh, informed by uh, your nose-to-the-ground reporting this week, Charlie. It is. It is. I think there are those moments when you're, like, away from it all and you disconnect and you don't look at Twitter for a while and you don't read the newspaper and you're like oh this is how my life could have been well i i, I, could, I, I could feel this way all the time if i had made better life choices i looked in the mirror and i'm like oh you look young <laughs> stress-free <laughs> you are glowing you are glowing girl well prepare to be dragged back down in the mud with the rest of us uh, i love it though um so we're going to be dialing um ben abitangelo in from darwin to chat about all the ways in which the colonial project has shut itself in the last <laughs> couple of weeks so i'm really looking forward to that call mainly the media version but you know we'll probably get to a few of the other ways as well uh, <laughs> um but uh there are uh it do, i mean look that does seem to be the main local news story of the week let's um let's face facts but there has been a massive international media story of course in fox news settling its um court case with dominion on the eve of rupert murdoch having to to jump into the stand. I thought this was going to be like a Ben Roberts Smith on steroids kind <laughs> of well, kind of sort of like, you know, um court uh car crash and perhaps they thought so too because they settled if for an, an astronomical eye-watering sum of money. Yes, if it's uh, if you're taking it in Australian dollars, it's it's more than a billion. Uh it's 787 million US dollars that uh Fox News and Fox Corp have settled their defamation case that was brought against them um, by Dominion Voting Systems, uh, which is about, which you know is roughly half of what the what Dominion was seeking. They were seeking 1.6 billion uh, US for uh, for defamation. And and um, you know long time listeners of the show will will know that it's quite hard to win a defamation case if you're the complainant in mm. the US, which is very different to how it is here. Um, so. To settle is obviously quite a big step to take, and and as and as you pointed out, one of the things that they avoid in doing that is that Rupert Murdoch and, and Lachlan Murdoch don't have to take the stand. And uh, but the, the, I think what's so it's it, I mean it, it is such a fascinating story. It is such a huge moment in 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 like and I I I, I, I use this phrase advisedly like in in world media history we have never had anything I think quite like this where. Even um, up to this point, we've had in the discovery process and the leaking of various texts that were sent by various uh, high-profile Fox News figures, you've got Mm. an incredible look behind the curtain. And you can actually, piece by piece, you can now put together an extremely detailed 
idea of what actually happened and when and who spoke to whom. Um, to, to remind actually of our viewers who, because I've obviously like viewers. actually, I've, it's not uh, Fox it's not viewers. <laughs> our loyal <laughs> listeners, I'm so sorry. If you were viewing, you would find it rather <laughs> You would find it really dull. <laughs> You'd be looking at a, an old photo of the two of us and Najma, I think, on the um, on the Triple R website. Um, but yes, if you haven't, like me, just been boiling your brain in the story for the last, um, God, it's nearly, it's nearly two years now. Um, essentially, uh, in the aftermath of the the 2020 presidential election, Donald Trump had been – and he'd been making noises of this sort in the lead-up. He'd been saying – he'd been attaching the idea of voter fraud to basically any sort of yes. idea that he could. Still the, is. And, and still is, and still is. At the time, what we forget is that the, the for the longest time, leading up to the election, he kept saying – all these absentee votes, because obviously it was still at the height of COVID at this stage, and they were yeah. making it very. They, were, they actually weren't changing very much, but they were making it easier to vote by mail in some states. And he latched onto that as a as a kind of nexus of potential voter fraud, you know, uh, and and refused basically when he was asked during a presidential uh, debate, the first one with him and Joe Biden, he essentially was asked, "Will you commit to a like peaceful transition of power?" And he and he wouldn't do it. Mm. Uh, he was trying to like make a lot of vague allegations about about voter fraud. It's not actually until after the election happens uh, and he goes through with exactly what he told us he was going to do and starts claiming voter fraud pretty much the same night it happens. Uh, well, actually, well before the, the election had been called, by the way. Uh, he got he, – once – Fox News called Arizona for Biden, which was That's a big right. call that they made. They were the first news network to do that. And they correctly called it in favor of Joe Biden. Uh, and around that time, a little bit later, uh, Trump has a, a press conference where he says – uh, we thought we were going to win. We have won, frankly. And the, the, there were so many votes to still count. There was so long to go in the station. He was already claiming voter but fraud. But that, 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 interestingly, that call from Fox News um, was, uh, in a way, the the kind of, um, I guess, the domino, for want of a better word, uh, that, that really pushed them into embracing the theory because they realised how quickly their audience could turn the blowback that they got yeah, for daring yeah. to call Arizona against Trump was yeah, there, monumental. There, there was an outbreak of journalism at Fox News and their viewers <laughs> were furious about it. Uh, so it's really interesting because, like, then a week sort of passes and... A, a Very round... momentary lapses. <laughs> uh, a, so a week passes and uh, around the kind of QAnon conspiracy theory uh, forums, there's this um, theory that starts spreading that Dominion voting systems, one of the electronic voting systems, Systems that was used in the in various states in the election had deliberately voted sorry deliberately deleted millions of votes mm. for Trump or flipped votes from Trump to to Joe Biden. Uh, he he that gets picked up by a, 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 a far far right news uh, uh, service uh, that tr- that Trump then sees tweets all caps millions of votes for Trump deleted. This is a new report. And around the same time, again, a Fox reporter uh, named Jackie Heinrich, uh, she tweets, she doesn't do a story, she tweets a little fact check on that and says, uh, actually, she's spoken to various uh, election infrastructure officials and they found no evidence of any kind of voting system uh, deleting or losing votes, changing votes or in any way compromising the votes. Mm. We now know, thanks to this court case, that uh, Tucker Carlson, one of the high-profile hosts on Fox News, texted his colleagues and said, get this woman fired 
Um, I can quote this seriously. What, what a the guy. Fuck? What a guy. Yeah, uh, it needs to stop immediately, like tonight. It's it's hurting the company in a measurable way. Well, it's measurably hurting the company. Our stock yeah. price is down. This is not a joke. Uh, by morning, Heinrich has deleted that tweet. She now, she puts another version of that vid out, but, but you know, she deletes that specific tweet. Um, there's also already been, at this stage, they, they've already aired certain uh, other voter fraud um, theories that they had to retract. They, they got sent some names by the Trump people uh, saying that these people are dead and they've been told and, we, and but they've been put down as voting. Uh, they, they then repeated these names and then some, some news organizations went, let's see if we can find this person. Oh, yeah, they're alive and well and registered to vote. Um, what's really interesting about it is um, the initial and as you said, the what's in, incredible is the volume of reactions within Fox News and yeah, within the yeah. people of Fox Th- News that, that, that is came something up that is during unprecedented, the trial. Seeing that in real time happen. Yeah. Yes. And the obviously the the initial reactions from a lot of them were like, this is a crazy theory. The guy's a lunatic. Hmm. Ha ha. They were treating it like we're not going to run with this. How quickly, how quickly they all fell into line. Do you know yeah, what I mean? I mean like the, yeah, I mean, the, 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 Tucker Carlson is, is the really um, illustrative one because he is in one breath texting his producer about how passionately he hates Trump and how he can't wait to be rid of him and, and the, the damage that he has done to the conservative movement in this country is, you know, you know, uh, unfixable. And then the next night he will go on and he's very, very careful with his language, Carlson. He says there's a lot of people who think that this election was stolen and we have to really mm. – we have to take their, their concerns seriously. And, and how – old – what do you say to people who – or, you know, what's your response to people who say – Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. you know, and, and, and look how broken our system is that people don't trust it. And and, and, and at the same time, people like uh, Trump-affiliated lawyer Sidney Powell are going on stations and, and basically being unchallenged as they say mm. – Hundreds of millions, you know, he won by hundreds of millions of votes. Or maybe, yeah, they have millions of votes. They, all and, the, um, they let all the guests spread the crazy. Yeah, yeah. And, and so the, the kind of key, key plank of this, I mean, and, and, and the theory is uh, Dulali, as my grandmother would have said, <laughs> um, where it's, it's – uh, the, the, the theory was that the Dominion system had been designed by um, – uh, Venezuelan dictator Hugo Chavez, who had been what? dead for about 10 years what? at the time, uh, in, in order to guarantee that uh, he would never lose an election Wh- in his hometown. Where did hometown. this theory come from? This is all, this is all from the QAnon um, ah. forums. Um, you'll be shocked to hear this. That was debunked fairly quickly by AAP. <laughs> uh, and, and, and there was all the obvious stuff of like oh, George Soros Hugo. paid for this stuff. The Clinton Foundation paid for it. Oh, yeah. um, I yeah. like the Hugo Chavez one better. That's good. <laughs> Uh, but now, of course, so we, we so even though there, there's you know there, the, who knows what would have come out uh, had this gone on any further, the 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 amount of information on on the on the record is incredible. I know, yeah. I guess what's interesting to me is like so the they settled, Fox settled, obviously, and um, had to pay an enormous sum. But there's no real repercussions. It's not like um, from now on you cannot spread, you know, you cannot spread this level of misinformation on it, whatever it is. Yeah. There's, yeah. It's it's purely a, it's a purely, it's purely a civil a, sort of yeah, yeah. case, I mean, if you want to say, versus, you know, it's not, they haven't been charged with any crime or. No, you, no. It, it's, it, it just exists. Yeah. And the I information suppose... now out there, but they don't have to change the way they could pick up another theory next week and run with it and. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's a really interesting one. Save where, for the threat um, of a lawsuit. So now they'll just go after people who 
you know, academics or something. Well, I mean, who, who are I not going to bring the, a lawsuit? The, 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 uh, Dominion wasn't the only um, voting well, that's system another that was one. impugned. There's, there's another, another there's one another, coming. Yes, another one coming. Who have yeah. said something along the lines of they started a process, we're going to finish it, kind of thing. Which is and also which sounds very very American bravado. <laughs> yeah, let's you know, um, they're claiming more money too. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Uh, so I guess we'll see what happens there. I mean, I, it is always a. It's a bit. I remember when we spoke to. Um, Oh my God! I'm, I'm off. I can't remember her name. Andrea, Andrea Carson. We were talking to her about, you know, the relega- regulation of information on social media, and she said, "Well, there's actually there's a bit of a, a second sign to that, which mm. is, do you want to give a government, say, power over what can be said about them on online? We see can that that can have some some very dangerous things. So in in terms of this, it's like, well, is that the system working as it was intended? Mm. Do we actually want to give some, uh, you know, third group the, the power to send Rupert Murdoch to prison or something for... Mm. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's, yeah, it, there is a bit of a slippery slope yeah, element to all of that slope. sort of stuff, yeah. Triple R on FM, digital, online, on demand, podcasts and via the app. Ben Abitangelo is a Gunnakurnai and Watcher Bullock uh, writer for the Saturday paper and The Guardian and recently Indigenous X, among others. He's been a regular voice on the project, ABC programs, including the dubious honour of being both sides with Alan Jones on Q&A. Ben has made documentaries for Vice, was the deputy CEO of the global non-profit AIM and is a board member of Victorian University Online. In a past life, he was also very handy with a cricket bat, I am told. <laughs> it's Welcome, Ben. Thank you for having me. Now officially a part of the Spin Cycle team. So I know. Um, I'm probably s- the greatest feather in my cap. <laughs> you do oh, say the sweetest things. <laughs> you, you know how to charm us. <laughs> Uh, but thanks for having me on, team. I've been um, I've been looking forward to this. Oh, we have too, and thank you so much for joining us. It's a it's a funny time. It's funny. Like I, I was like, um, I would love to you to just come and you know shoot the breeze about a whole lot of stuff. And no, we have to go serious. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. Yeah. But actually, I just, um, I I really, I guess what we, why I really wanted to chat to you is because you've got this great um, sort of perspective and this great way of of, uh, writing. I loved your piece in Indigenous X um, recently Mm -hmm. sort of um, pondering whether we are mid-apocalypse or slightly (laughs) post-apocalypse on all of this stuff. And I I would love to um, first up just go kind abroad given that you are sort of in residing in Darwin at the moment how, how is it being sort of um, close to to Dutton's kind of um, sort of pulpit for, for for you know he's obviously trying to gather himself on a on many topics and he's chosen this this as his kind of bow and arrow what's it like yeah I feel um I mean a couple of things uh uh, and it's all relatively connected, but I do feel that the northern half of this continent has been the easiest place for, um, you know, people like Peter Dutton and people like John Howard and, you know, folks of that ilk to wage war on Indigenous people. Mm. And, um, you know, I feel as though that, you know, Aboriginal and Torres Strait people in this part of the country just take up this really fascinating space within the white imagination. And um, it's quite a, like, provoked and hostile, um, I don't know, fear-driven, sort of alien-like space where, 
you know, black people are forever these problems to be reformed, these problems to be solved. And um, to be feared in a way because it's always conversations about violence and criminality and, you know, policing too. Mm, mm. So that was, yeah, and I mean that's kind of, I guess, the backdrop of how I got to thinking more about or less about the the current narratives and, I guess, headlines that circulate throughout, you know, daily news, but more so trying to take a step back and go, you know, this is really hectic, actually, Mm -hmm. what's taking place. And I honestly feel, you know, living in the Northern Territory, it's, I mean, the honest accounting concludes for me anyways that this is some sort of a contemporary, like, apartheid state, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And the things that are happening around me, um, they're not normal. It's not rational. It's not sane. um, It's not civil. It's it's crazy, and um, you know, fortunately enough, myself. Well, if speaking for myself, I could just refuse to become numb to those realities, or become tolerant or apathetic, which is what those gravitational forces try and condition us to do. So, um, yeah, it's a strange. It's a really strange time, and it's violent, and it's um, you know, it, it's shameless, it's debilitating, it's nauseating, it's unhelpful, it's inflammatory, um, and it kind of feels as though that, you know, that's the trajectory that we're on for the, for the entirety of this year and I think, mm. you know, well into the next. And irrespective of what comes with this referendum, which now seems like a sideshow, um, I just feel as though that Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, irrespective of where things fall, are just going to come out of this really battered and bruised. Um, so... Yeah, it's a, a difficult time for sure. Uh, ben, it's Charlie here. Thank you uh, so much for joining us. Um, in your in your wonderful piece for um, uh, Apocalypse in the Indigenous Imagination, you talk a little bit mm. about um, a recent discussion you had with Professor uh, Chelsea Wotego and Dr. David Singh mm. about what you call yeah. the um, the politics of refusal. Uh, mm. And I just I, I thought that was uh, we actually to be fair we've, we've both been talking about how what a, what a wonderful phrase that is. Could you explain mm. to our listeners um, a bit about what you mean by that? Yeah, well, I think, uh, importantly, it was Professor Chelsea Wattago that sort of coined or gave gave language to a behaviour, right? And I've always felt in my life, in the things that I do, there's, you know, there's a refusal to conform. So even in the ways that I participate, whether it's on the sporting field, whether it's in a workplace, whether it's, you know, kind of just how I move through the world, it's a refusal to be, well, I participate in a way that isn't, um, conformed or conditioned or aligned with, I guess, the mainstream expectations. Um, and a lot of those mainstream expectations, I feel, are quite, you know, assimilatory. And um, like I kind of wrote in that piece, it sort of is designed to sort of, I guess, uh, you know, make you remove yourself from who you are in order to succeed. Um, so I guess the politics of refusal is about, you know, the stepping away mm-hmm. and the clarity and the conviction that comes with you know, not wanting to put yourself in a scenario where you have to be subjugated to the absurdity of things. And I think in the context of, you know, or the backdrop of the referendum or um, the voice to parliament, I mean, that's a, a really interesting thing to think about where, you know, is progress and power found through absorption and stepping towards or mm-hmm. is the power found in the refusal and stepping away? Um, so that's sort of, I guess, 
you know, maybe a loose response, Charlie. Um, but <laughs> Well, it's interesting because um, Amy McGuire wrote a, wrote a great Substack piece this week around that that said, brilliant. titled, The Black No Campaign is Not Jacinta Price and Warren Mundine. Mm. And mm. we had um, Bridget Brennan on this show a couple of weeks ago and she's made yeah. a cinem- similar point where she said you could walk into a, a room with 30 different, you know, Indigenous people in the room and you'll get 30 different points of view about this um, process, the voice, the Uluru mm-hmm. statement and and all of that because, um, you know, that the, the people's history and people's identity is so, is mm-hmm. not, you know, is not um, singular. Mm-hmm. How do you think the media, is the media capable in the next, I know that um, putting cynicism aside, <laughs> if possible, <laughs> uh, suspension of disbelief. Um, is the media capable of sort of um, s- somehow getting some kind of constructive narrative back on track from the weirdness of this week and the last few weeks? Um, and, yeah. and, and, and sort of articulating any nuance in this debate? Mm. I mean, short answer is no, mm. um, and I say that because I feel as though that the horse has bolted so yeah. far, and yeah. uh, I feel as though that the it's gotten too far ahead of themselves, and it's now an impossibility to catch up or rein it in. Um, so I, I don't, I don't think that we're going to see. You know, we, we might see some lulls uh, over the next couple of months, but I, I feel as though that we've sort of we're in a pretty firm rhythm, and I'd be really surprised if we were to that current programming um, and that current veracity and that current noise, right? Like it's so, um, yeah, it's just so unhelpful. Really, mm. it's unimaginative. It's really, you know, and it's agenda driven and. You know, I, I feel as though that's a reflection of the country, right, and the arrogance that, um, you know, and the arrogance, right, that I, I feel as though is imbued into so much of the structures and so much of people's thinking. But also I think it's a function of the voice design. Like, I don't think that it transcends Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people out of the day-to-day politics of left and right. I think it actually mm. steps into it. So I think it's a reflection of the country itself um, and then also unfortunately, a feature of, um, you know, the voice design. Mm. Uh, one other thing that Bridget said, I'll be interested in your point of view because she, she's working really hard now to, I guess, um, um, make or, you know, bolster the support for um, journalists and reporters and um, mm. Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people who come into the media after seeing many come in and then many leave quite quickly because mm. the systems are so um, mm. indentured that they're actually not there to support people. Totally. I'm interested to hear your point of view on that, you know, as someone who, you know, you've had another career, you obviously have um, work interests and life interests mm. elsewhere and now as someone mm. who is in the media and also in some pretty mainstream media, you know, Project TV and ABC and, mm. and that sort of stuff. What What is your experience on, you know, of or have, of being a First Nations media person and mm. also do you see any shift in the way, um, mm. you know, in access or participation? Yeah, it's a good question and I, I think it's also really important for me to note that although I do have some slots here and there with these mainstream publications, um, it's also just a really violent experience mm. and that some of the publications <clears throat> um, 
have also, I'm certain, put a red asterisk on my name because they would like to have a face mm. and not necessarily this, and, and the palatable parts of the story, but they don't want your politics, they don't want yep. your struggle, yeah, right, they yeah. want your reality. So um, it, it's, it's difficult to craft out, um, you know, space in mainstream discourse. Mm. Um, and, you know, I, I've, I've, yeah, uh, one thing that's really shocked me is also the violence of objectivity. And again, who's which witness's perspective is subjective as opposed to those that is objective. And oftentimes, you know, I've, um, I've been told that I can't report on 10-year-olds, you know, being incarcerated in Dondale because I'm an Aboriginal person and the optics will be that I will be too, um, too emotive and I won't be able to objective position. Um, there's, I've got, yeah, there's, to, to, to Bridget's point, it's, I think she's doing um, really important work, but I don't have much faith in, mm. you know, the institutions that currently exist. And that's why when I get, you know, opportunities to speak with, you know, programs like the Spin Cycle or grassroots community organisations or groups, I feel that's where, you know, it's a really rich heartland of discourse and, um, you know, we might not be able to carry the voice to every single household like we can when I'm on the project, but and engage with depth and nuance and, um, you know, and, and, and move ideas, um, which is, and, and stress testing. So, um, yeah, good luck to Bridget. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I, I'm glad it's her, not me. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, she has left the country to do the work, so <laughs> I think yeah, she's in Oxford. She's in Oxford at the moment. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> I mean, along similar lines, I suppose, is that is that the best way forward on, 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 I suppose, I mean, the voice is the obvious nexus for this kind of discussion at the moment, but we could talk mm. about, you know, any number of issues that affect Indigenous communities. Is mm. that the best way forward, do you think, is the, um, is it's sort of more localised, grassroots, um, kind of concentrated issues rather than, because I, 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 going back to what you were saying about the kind of the, the arrogance and entrenched views of the political media mm. class about these things, I kind of I've almost got in, been getting the sense in the last few weeks around this discussion that it's like they've been like it's too important whether you're like whether they're in favor or opposed to a, a, an indigenous voice uh mm. their view is like it's too important for nuance <laughs> like do you know what i mean, you know like, what I mean? and maybe yeah. that nuance can only happen in smaller groups mm. well I, I mean i just take I, I try and zoom out from the discourse and um reminded um every day that you know, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people were born out of these living lands, waters and skies so long ago mm-hmm. and have refined systems of governance and kinship and care and community that have the greatest data set humanly possible, right? And if we are not, you know, and, and with hundreds and hundreds of nations and groups across the country, so to answer your question, Charlie, I mean, anything that's in my mind that isn't, looking to restore those systems of self-governance, um, I think is really dangerous. Mm. If I'm being honest, like genocidal, right? Like if we're not looking to restore those systems, those structures, those political destinations that have sustained us since the first human sunrise, then uh, I, I think we're you know, we're kind of walking into really dangerous territory, albeit with a smile and under the guise that, 
you know, um, progress is here. So well, I do believe, yeah, the future is, is, is local, is regional. It isn't, you know, hyper-centralised, hyper-monopolised. It's, you know, people in the communities, um, you know, being able to restore the things, like I said, that have sustained them. And um, I think that's the, that's, that's the only way forward if we need to be doing things that step towards that. Yeah, there was a there was a, a, a what should be a big story this week, but you know um, we know what the, the bigger story was um, that that Aboriginal legal services across the country are being scaled back um, amid a funding crisis, and to me that that was real alarm bells because um, you know a lot of these services are completely self governed and are actually um, do monumental work in grassroots communities and in the support that that they offer and, and provide really strong networks. And, um, you know, my, I guess uh, what, what, is the, what is sort of the approach from a media point of view? There, there are some really amazing sort of um, grassroots community and media organisations, but how do you amplify those stories, you know? Mm. Yeah, well, it's really difficult because we don't have, publications that we can go to, right, mm. that service, that want to consistently service those stories and want to consistently, you know, invest in, you know, people to tell those stories. Um, so that's really, it's, it's, you know, it's, because we don't have that, the space is con- contested and it's scarce. Mm. Um, but I think for everyone else that has a pen or that has a podcast or that has space carved out wherever it is, I think what's, like, really important is that we stop kind of parroting what people say and rather just, like, really focusing on their actions mm. um, because the fact that those legal services, which have been under threat for a long time, right, like yeah. it hasn't mm. just come about because we had um, solar eclipse today. Um, <laughs> Did you see it? A lot of, I didn't. My partner said, um, circuit break, and my partner said, just don't look because it can blind and then I refused to look up all day. And then I got home and Rach said, did you see the solar eclipse? And I said, well, you told me not to look at it. But no, I didn't see it. Um, but that's very funny. But it's it, it sort of, you know, there's a lot of these, um, you know, institutions, if we can call them that, that do really integral work that um, save lives, that keep families together, that, you know, give people a chance Um that, you know, governments have perpetually underfunded that, um, you know, and it's gotten to this real crisis point. And, I mean, that's the stuff that undermines a lot of the discourse that, mm. you know, particularly coming from the possessive kind of left Labor side of politics, um, if we could even consider them to be a left-sided party anymore mm. or if they've ever been. Dubious. Um, is totally, is the fact that, um, you know, that, they keep talking about the voice and as this home run kind of, you know, opportunity. And the fact of the matter is they are perpetually neglecting the services that our communities need. They continue to hand out our lands and our waters to vested international interests. Like, they continue to dominate our bodies. Like, the all of the reports and the inquiries that have been commissioned continue to stay dormant. So mm-hmm. it really is hard to take anything that is uh, happening at the moment seriously because, um, 
yeah, it's a whole lot of words, a whole lot of smiles. And at the end of the day, like, you know, as Lydia Thorpe continues to say, Senator Lydia Thorpe continues to say, like, people are dying. And, mm-hmm. you know, they've got the keys and the ability to stop that. But there's um, an incompatibility and a refusal from their part to do so. Yeah, if you can't surface enough outrage for, you know, 10-year-olds um, being kept in Total. solitary confinement, mm-hmm. then, um, you know... I understand. I understand that. It's just so – I guess it's it's challenging, isn't it, And because we are in this freaking discourse and you do mm. want to make sense of it. You do want to somehow try mm. and understand um, – or try, or try and see how it could be changed or could be better, you know, because there are good people working within, you know, if we bring it back to the fact that it's been, a, that we're, you know, kind of doing it loosely a media show, there are good people working in the system. There are people who are well-meaning who would like to try and um, report, you know, positively or try and report the richness of, of situations or, and, and try and help move the, shift the dial, but I guess working within difficult systems mm. what do you yeah, I, I, sorry yeah. I, I agree on that totally it's sort of and i mean i think what an out you know the, the desired outcome is that they that from certain well, large factions of the kind of media populace right is that they want people to tune out or they want people to be you know completely confused into a fit where nothing makes sense anymore like the more that you know just communities across the continent is sort of squabbling with themselves and squabbling with each other like Mm. that's success Mm. for them um so we do have to continue to lean in with you know with um with care with thought with discipline with time Uh, but it it is a very difficult thing to do in the kind of current context that's for sure yeah i can imagine you just want to tune out for the last for the next six months go overseas (laughs) I mean, Warren Mundine did say uh, today, I believe, that, uh, you know, things are really going to ramp up in June. That's when people are really... And I thought, oh, God, we've already had... We've already had the horror that we've had so far. We've had these awful unsourced claims about, you know, child sex abuse. We've already had Tim Blair making these horrible gratuitous swipes about various people's, um, you know, heritage. And it's like, oh, this is going to get... Is it just going to... Is the dial just going to get turned up and up and up as this goes along? Yeah, I mean, that, that's what I, I... I mean, at best, we maintain the current programming, and that's horrible. Yeah. And then, you know, at worst, it does get dialed up. But on the kind of, you know, the, the rinse and repeat, um, you know, language from Dutton and Co about, you know, Aboriginal men basically all being pedophiles and, you know, rampant sexual abuse, like, that's really consequential. And, yeah, yeah. You know, to remind people how horrific and that the claims are unfounded and um but you know i was in alice springs only a couple of months ago and i went to a closed community forum and without overly sharing too much of what took place in there one of the things that you know there was consistent sadness from Mm -hmm. women who constantly referred to the fact that aboriginal men within the center of the country have been shamed out of parenting their children. Mm-hmm. So not only, you know, does they, they throw those, um, you know, those words out there and then it picks it up and amplifies it and validates it and keeps it front and centre for an eternity until, um, you know, it sticks in people's minds. Like the consequences on the ground are is that Aboriginal men uh, don't want to walk down the street holding the hands of their kids because they mm-hmm. believe that people are going to look at it 
at them out of the corner of their eye and think that they're, you know, devious individuals. So it's not just the rhetoric that is, you know, for many people, it's like, oh, that's crazy. How could you, how could someone say something like that? Or as if it's so low, like the reality is for people on the ground that it has consequences. Mm. And, you know, um, this is, this isn't a new thing. This is a, um, this is language that has been thrown around for decades now. Um, and, yeah, it's inflammatory, it's unhelpful and, you know, really consequential. Yes, and as you say, it's not, it's not a matter of offence. It's, yes, it is a material thing. And I suppose that, as you say, it's not, it's not new. It's, 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 it's old rhetoric. Is there, mm. I mean, again, I suppose we, so we are... it's so depressing to see it's, it's it horrifyingly come depressing. around again. And, and I just, I suppose, again, this is, a, this, I feel like we're getting a little bit doomy here, but like, it's, That's a, okay. but like is That's there any reality. way that, do, do you see any way that we can just... On one level, and this is this is true for a lot of issues that, that go around in circles that could possibly be done better. Is do you see any way of just improving people's memories very slightly, or is that just not possible in the way that the discourse is done now? Well, it's hard with not only how the discourse is done, but also how short our our attention yeah. spans are, mm. right? And um, the you know we're constantly forced to kind of drill things down even more, and you know cut the the guts out of whatever the mess and you know people you know there's i'm this is anecdotal or at least what i feel is that you know more and more people are refusing to engage with depth and um you know take the time to explore things but i don't know i just wondered you know we like i understand that peter dutton and his team are you know these ministers within um a shadow cabinet but like they really are irrelevant yeah um, like so why do we give them relevance you know why do we report why do we why do we send cameras to where he is if you know the the, the most objective position is that he's just going there to lie and well, make that, stuff up what's the point of amplifying that well, that's what's the, the point of following it that's the thing that I find infuriating is it's so reactionary and mm. there's it's almost like in order for it to keep for the cycle to keep moving everyone has mm. to accept this um feigned um acceptance or feigned interest mm-hmm. in what is being said or no totally. no one's allowed to call it out like there there'll yeah. be a million think pieces oh it's very cynical this appointment of Jacinta Price but we're going to train our camera mm-hmm. on her constantly now for the next 6 months you know mm-hmm. and report yeah. everything she says yeah and the, and the and the thing is that while you know people get to try and outflank each other on the political spectrum Right, it's that then becomes a contest of you know the left outflanking the right and then vice versa, and then you know once the 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 narrative gets shifted onto something else and people move on, it's still the same people that are left to pick up the pe- yeah. you know it's still yeah. the same communities that are left um, you know battered, bruised, traumatized, hurt, and oftentimes with more money being invested into the same service providers, the same strategies, the same is that reproduce more of the same outcomes. So mm-hmm. it's um yeah, it's a pretty vicious type of vortex and that'd be my you know, off the top of my head is just I, I do wonder why we give relevance to people that are really irrelevant and yeah. um, you know, amplify messages that are just objectively untrue and insane, um, like what's the point of, you know, oxygenating that? It does give so much credence to that idea of the politics of refusal. 
What does the next uh, six months look like for you, Ben? Are you going to, you know, hopefully keep talking about... Because I think it's really... There's something really powerful about just pulling back the curtain. (laughs) Yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, I felt... um, I mean, I felt... It's hard because I want to be able to creatively write and explore, you know, and enable you know, ideas to move and to flow. and But I also want to be able to report from a journalistic perspective and lens and, you know, try and find those objective truths so that community can have access to them. But I have found over the last, you know, maybe up until the last couple of weeks that I found myself sitting on the fence a little bit and mm-hmm. found myself being worried out of contributing to the discourse and, you know, that's really unhealthy. It's kind of unfair. I know that, look, Indigenous voices, um, although they're meant to matter the most, our vote is immaterial. And anything that we say is actually, like, really irrelevant, right? Like, it's, mm. it really does feel as though that it's no longer about us and some sort of other vanity project that, mm. um, you know, for everyone else to kind of, you know, jostle over. But I will seek to, yeah, to try and... Um, you know, stress test ideas, try and understand theories of change, um, you know, give the ideas time to move and flow and, um, you know, where possible just engage with people that, um, yeah, are also looking to elevate the conversation because without it, right, it's um, it's a pretty bottomless pit. Mm. Well, thank you so much for giving us your time this evening. It's been oh. amazing. No, I appreciate the opportunity to, you know, both of you and get to lend my voice. And um, like I said, I will update my bio after this and be like, you know, spin cycle regular or something. Uh, we, no, you are welcome back any time. That will be legally binding, yeah. Ben. We yeah. will ask you back and you'll have to yeah. come. <laughs> you will live to regret Perfect. that statement. <laughs> no, well, I appreciate it, guys. And, um, yeah, like I said, thanks for having me on. Thanks so much, Ben. We've been talking to Ben Abitangelo. Um, Thoroughly recommend you uh, have a read of Ben's uh, article, Apocalypse and the Indigenous Imagination, which is currently on Indigenous X. You can listen to a podcast. uh, He was um, talking on the 7am podcast a couple of weeks ago uh, about everything that's going on in Alice Springs. And you can also... Um, hear the excellent conversation uh, that he had with um, uh, Chelsea Wadigo, uh, Professor Chelsea Wadigo and Dr David Singh, which is on au, talking about the um, politics of uh, refusal. Melbourne's own Triple R. 
Well, I'm. I feel incredibly, uh, I, like, fortunate and lucky that we that, yeah, that Ben was, shared yeah. all of all of those thoughts with us because I think, and you know, I think uh, it's so important to understand that if this isn't just a freaking debate. And I, I think this, this, you know, there was a lot of this around the marriage equality. Yeah, 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 that's well, the obvious but, parallel in recent times. But yeah. I think, you know, a lot of what he was saying too is that this is a massively nuanced conversation mm-hmm, mm-hmm. being pitted into sides by people who are just politicising it. And it's, yeah, and yeah, the yeah. repercussions, the the emotional, psychological, mental... You know, community repercussions are enormous. Whatever oh, sure. happens, you know. Yeah, yeah, and I think I mean, I, I mean we were talking about this uh, uh, off air, but the um, you know a show like this, for better and for worse, I think is um, you know trapped in the discourse a lot of the time. We yeah. have to discuss things because that's what we what we're here to kind of um, to do, and it is it is very. Um, I guess the word is humbling to kind of talk to someone that takes you a little, quite a few steps backwards yes, from that and absolutely. say, well, actually, let's have a look at the history and the philosophy that's actually informing this kind of debate. Mm. And and I did love, yeah, as as as, as we were saying, that the the idea of the of politics of refusal it reminded me a bit of um, this is a little bit of a tangent, but uh, Vaclav Havel, who was the first um president of the former Czechoslovakia after it was uh, kind of got out of Soviet rule. And his philosophy was the idea that you live as though you were free, mm. even if you are under an, in a system which complete, which very clearly robs that from you. And, and that's its entire role is to rob you of your freedom. You can just live as though you were free yeah. and that, and they can't do very much to stop you. Um, it's a bit of a tangential thing, but it kind of reminded me of that. My um, three-year-old practices the policy of refusal... <laughs> Every minute of every day, uh, well, in a uh, very different way, a revolutionary, and um, for that, that they ought to be um, commended. This morning, uh, two sh- t-shirts wasn't enough. He needed three t-shirts. Three t-shirts. Refused to leave the house until he was wearing three t-shirts. <laughs> anyway, that is. I'm. I don't mean to minimise the conversation we've just had. I say it was. It was an odd example. I of, just have uh, two feet in two different worlds. <laughs> Um, the criticism, the idea of um, criticism has come up in my yeah. feed a few times. There was an amazing piece um, uh, in, uh, was it Overland? It was Overland, yeah. Um, yeah. Which uh, was a critique of a book called Bruni. Yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah. That came out a while ago and has done pretty good numbers and didn't have any sort of, didn't seem to have any sort of con- controversy at its launch but um, this piece is incredibly, uh, it's really damning of the book and it seems amaz- amazing that in the day of outrage culture. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It managed to sort of sail under the, you know, under the radar. So yeah, it's uh, Elias Grieg um, who, who wrote this, yeah, incredible piece about Brody. And, and I think, you know, I, I, we were... I, I managed to sort of miss a bit of the hype around Bruni when it first came out, which tells you something, which tells you that this kind of level of critical analysis wasn't really happening at that stage because that's when, it, you know, that's when it starts to billow out into the kind of wider culture. But it, it's, it's an incredible piece of writing and um, I believe they've taken it out behind the paywall. So if any of our listeners are interested, they, they, they will be able to find it. Um, but essentially, yeah, really getting into the, into the kind of quite troubling politics mm. of, of the book and... Uh, and the ideas and the kind of history that that belongs to, which is a very, I think, part of the reason that people really kind of responded to this piece, I think regardless of whether they agreed with it or not, it was just like, oh, we don't really have 
much criticism like that these days. We, mm. we, we, it, it's all a bit, and there's a lot of reasons for that in terms of like being able to be a steady, being able to be employed so that you've got the time to write something this in depth is is sort of a dying job in this country and, and, and kind of elsewhere as well. And that's all for this week. Thanks for listening. You can find us every week on your favourite podcast platform. And you can follow us on Twitter at Sample, at Lily Juice, and at The Shuffle Diary. You can also listen in at rrr.org.au via On Demand for the radio version of the show. Want to support Spin Cycle? Become a Triple R subscriber. Your subscription helps keep the station running and helps Triple R produce and create great radio and podcast content like this.